0: Our text this morning is from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: If you have your Bibles, you can keep them open to Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16, where we will be looking, as you just heard read, at the story of Cain and Abel. Um, If you've been with us for the last few weeks, then you know we're taking a brief detour from our series on Ruth as PJ is out of town. Uh, But we will be returning to that series next week. Now, this story is a story that I'm sure many of us are familiar with. You know, even if you didn't grow up in church, the story of Cain and Abel is one um, that you're likely familiar with. It seems to transcend that barrier between uh, the church culture and non-church culture. Now, in our familiarity we can miss some of the gravity of this story. So if you were to look at the first four chapters of Genesis and you were to move through them slowly and carefully, reading them, you would be confronted with a striking story. Right? So you would, you would see in chapter 1 of Genesis this creation that's good, good, very good. Right? And then in chapter 2, you would see God create man and woman. And it's in, he creates it in such a way that it's so beautiful that Adam cries out in poetry... Man and woman dwelling together in unity with their God. But then when you turn to chapter 3, you see this striking turn, this big turn. Man and woman reject their God in sin. And God comes to them and he curses the ground and he curses the serpent and they're cast out of the garden. They're cast out from the presence of the Lord. And it's in that setting, following the fall, that the story of Cain and Abel Takes place. The vertical relationship between God and man has been broken. And then what we see here in chapter 4 is that from this breaking of the vertical relationship, the horizontal is broken. Cain kills Abel. The fact that they're brothers is mentioned seven times in this text, emphasizing just how horrifying of an act it is that Cain does this. A brother murders his brother. In worship, the movement from the very good of creation a few pages before to here is haunting. And the reason is sin. Sin has ruptured the very fabric of the world. Cain's relationship to his brother reveals something about his nature. And the fact of the matter is, it reveals something about our nature as well. The nature that drives Cain to murder his brother is the same nature that's within us. Consider our own hearts. Consider our own hearts. Are we not prone to lacking heartfelt worship? Have we not seen our our hearts tend towards anger and jealousy? And so the question remains, what the heck are we to do? Right? If sin is so powerful to compromise our worship and to compromise our hearts, then what hope do we have? In Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16, Moses is writing to the people of Israel soon to enter the promised land and and he reminds them and he reminds us of sin's powerful presence. But he also reminds them and he reminds us of the Lord's graciousness. Cain and Abel reminds us that sin has rendered us helpless before God. And in light of that, we must place our faith in God alone. We'll see this today in three ways. So we'll see it first in Cain's offering second in Cain's sin, and third in Cain's judgment. First, Cain's offering. So in contrast to the rest of chapter four, the chapter actually opens up with a bit of hope, right? So uh, we read that Adam and Eve have a son, which leads Eve to proclaim, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. He's had a son. The reason this brings so much hope is because of all that happens in chapter 3. So chapter 3 and chapter 4 are meant to be read together. There's all this common language that's shared between them. And when they're read together, what we see is that the birth of Cain looks like a fulfillment of what the Lord promises in Genesis 3.15. God proclaims, I will put enmity between you, that's the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Cain's birth, seen in this light, marks the start, or it it, it seems to mark the start of the offspring of promise, the offspring that will ultimately defeat evil. What hope and what joy accompanies this birth. But then the thing is, is Cain's birth is, there's all this to-do about Cain's birth, and Abel's birth is just an afterthought, right? Verse 2, it just says, uh, and again she bore his brother Abel. That's all it says about Abel's birth. But as we know, As we just heard read, things quickly begin to turn. Cain and Abel are both bring offerings to the Lord and we read, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. The Lord accepts the offering of Abel and he doesn't even acknowledge Cain's offering, right? So it's the complete reverse of their births. Whereas in Cain's birth, as this seems like this big deal and Abel's is an afterthought, now Cain's offering, I mean, Abel's offering is accepted and Cain's is not even acknowledged. Now, why is that? Now, there's been much made of these offerings over the years seeking to explain why was Abel's accepted and why was Cain's rejected. You know, one popular suggestion has been that uh, Cain's off, or Abel's offering was a blood sacrifice and so it was acceptable to the Lord. Um, another has just been, it's, it's simply unknowable why God... Uh, Chose Abel's and rejected Cain's, and it's really not all that important, doesn't really make a difference. But notice here, while it isn't overt, I do think we get a hint. Because little things, little statements in the Bible can show up in big ways. And here's the key the key is that Abel offered the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, as that would be the best he had to offer. Now, recently I was eating barbecue from Four Rivers. And as I'm going through the line, you know, I notice that people are picking around all the fat. You know, they, they want the, the lean portion, as they, as they say. You know, my wife is from Memphis, you know, like the land of barbecue. And she doesn't want, she doesn't want any of the fatty portions, right? That she, that's just too unhealthy. Now, when I'm going through the line, I'm doing the complete opposite. I want the fattiest, the most unhealthy piece I can find. I am from Mississippi, after all, right? But... The thing is, is I'm going for that because that's where all the flavor is. That's, to, that's the best portion. And not only does he give of the fat portions, he gives of the firstborn of his flock. Because that, those are the best he has to offer. Abel is giving his best. Here's what we must see. Cain's rejection is not arbitrary. right? God does not just reject Cain to reject Cain. Cain has offended God with his offering. There's something in Cain's offering that actually offends God. Cain is not accepted because Cain has not done well. Why? Here's why. We, we see it in, in Hebrews eleven four. It tells us, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Abel's sacrifice is accepted because he offered it by faith. He gave of his best because he trusted the Lord. Cain does not. Cain's heart was not a heart of faith. The difference between Cain and Abel's sacrifice is not obvious. But God can see what we cannot see. Sin was present in his worship. God could see that in Cain's heart, his religious ritual had become a substitute for truly holy living. So what are we supposed to take away from this? What are we supposed to take away from the rejection of Cain and his, his lack of heartfelt worship here and his, his, his worship that is not by faith? Here's what we can take away. Even if we think we are worshiping the Lord, worship that only pays lip service to God is not worship at all. Worship that appears true and heartfelt on Sunday morning, but fails to lead us to put away the sins of the flesh, that fails to lead us towards holiness, is not worship at all. And just as Cain killed Abel, false Christianity lies to the world. And the world sees this. The world can see when our lives don't match our worship. Jesus himself says that the Father is seeking those that worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and, you know, various church traditions struggle with one or the other of, the, of that paradigm. You know, maybe too much emphasis on spirit and not enough on truth, or too much on truth and, and not enough on spirit. And I think especially within churches like ours, within the Reformed tradition, we can be susceptible to worshiping God in truth, paying such close attention to all that scripture has to say that, that shapes our worship, and failing to allow that truth to shape our hearts. As a church, this is something we must ask ourselves. What defines our worship? Is it worship that is defined by both spirit and truth? The famous poet T.S. Eliot published a play in 1935 called Murder in the Cathedral, which is really an appropriate title for the story of Cain and Abel, but it's called Murder in the Cathedral. And the story tells the story of Thomas Beckett, who's the bishop of Canterbury, uh, who's in conflict with the king of, England, king of England. And he's come to realize that the king is going to have him murdered. And so the play shows these three, uh, four tempters come to Becket and offer him ways of escape from his, his death that's coming towards him. And the first three correspond to the temptations of Jesus. The uh, one offers him the ability to flee. The second offers him fame and safety. The third offers him power to overthrow the king. But the final tempter appeals to his pride, right? So there's the three that correspond to Jesus. And then there's this one extra one that appeals to his pride. And it's really subtle what this tempter does. The tempter tells him to seek martyrdom. Tells him to do something good. Seek martyrdom. But then he tells him to seek martyrdom for the reason that in martyrdom, he'll be able to control the king in some way. Beckett rejects them all. But pay attention to what Beckett says. This is what he says when he rejects them in the play. He says, Now is my way clear. Now is the meaning plain. Temptation shall not come in this kind again. The last temptation is the greatest treason: to do the right deed for the wrong reason. The greatest treason to God is to do the right deed, but for one's self, not God. This is Cain's worship. This is how worship. This is how our worship is prone to be. Sin corrupts even our motives for worship. And so, what are we to do? The Lord's caution to Cain is his caution to us. This is what he says. He says if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But what does it mean to do well? What does it mean? The answer is seen in Abel's offering. As we read earlier, Abel's offering is accepted because he offers it by faith. He offers the best of his flock in the fat portions. Abel rests in God's provision for life by not holding anything back. Worship that is acceptable to God is worship that recognizes its own inability to bring life and relies totally on God's graciousness for life. Worship that is acceptable to God is worship that's being done by faith. If our right theology or our leadership or our service or our giving is a substitute, substitute for the obedience of love and faith, then these acts that we render to God are ultimately the right deed for the wrong reason. But see, the Lord pursues Cain. Despite Cain's offense to God, he calls to him, he calls him to have faith. And he calls to us, through this text, rely solely on him to put away the improper motive that causes us to sin. In this, by faith, we will pursue holy living and we will worship God rightly. But you see, the thing is, is that this is really a heart level issue. The reason that Cain's, Worship is corrupted is because his heart has become corrupted. So that's what we turn to now. Our second point, Cain's sin. So despite Cain's sinful offering, the Lord comes to him and he warns him. And we're looking at verses 6 and 7. We, we read, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desires contrary to you but you must rule over it. So God comes to Cain, and he immediately fingers the problem. There's sin in your heart. And he says three things about sin, and I want us to look at them each in turn. So first, God tells him that sin is crouching at the door. Now, the image that he's calling to mind here is one of a lion, right, crouching, waiting to pounce an attack. Now, if you've recently, or if you've watched The Lion King, uh, you know, new or the old one, you know, preferably the old one. But if you've watched The Lion King, then you remember a scene early in the movie uh, where Mufasa is teaching Simba how to hunt. You know, and, he, and you see Simba crouching up behind Zazu, and then he pounces on him, and he gets him, and it's, you know, it's playful, and it's funny, and there's, there's no real threat of danger. But then later in the movie, you see Pumba eating or singing, and you see adult Nala cr- crouching, creeping up behind Pumba, and you think... Yeah, there's some real danger for Pumbaa right here, right? He's in real danger. Now, if you were in a safari and you see behind your friend a lion crouched to the ground, approaching, you would be freaking out, right? Because you would know there is real danger. You know that lions are dangerous and they will consume you. And you know it's even more frightening than the lion you see. It's the lion you don't see. God is pointing out the lion creeping behind Cain, crouching, waiting to pounce. It's interesting that, that when, Cain's, uh, when Cain's offering is rejected, he's very angry and it says his face fell. And there, it, it says his face fell and this doesn't simply connote, you know, he's just really upset about it and he's, he's kind of mad. Rather, it, it connotes this type of Depression. Cain is furious, and he's significantly let down by his rejection. And that's interesting. And and it's interesting because, as we've seen,